This episode is sponsored by Newcom, and as many of you know, I only bring sponsors onto this show whose products I truly swear by. Now, we are an overworked and underslept population, especially those of us that wear uniform for a living. And trying to reclaim some of the lost rest and recovery is imperative. Now, the application of this product is as simple as putting on headphones and a sleep mask. As you listen to music on each of the programs, there is neuroacoustic software beneath that is tapping into the actual frequencies of your brain, whether to upregulate your nervous system or downregulate. Now, for most of us that come off shift, we are A, exhausted, and B, do not want to bring what we've had to see and do back home to our loved ones. So one powerful application is using the program PowerNap a 20-minute session that will not only feel like you've had two hours of sleep, but also down-regulate from a hypervigilant state back into the role of mother or father, husband or wife. Now, there are so many other applications and benefits from this software, so I urge you to go and listen to episode 806 with CEO Jim Poole. Then download Newcom, N-U-C-A-L-M, from your app store and sign up for the seven-day free trial. Not only will you have an understanding of the origin story and the four decades this science has spanned, but also see for yourself the incredible health impact of this life-changing software. And you can find even more information on Newcom.com. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to bring you a very unique interview with two of my previous guests. Sean Taylor is a former Canadian Armed Forces Tier 1 operator and a human performance coach and was my guest on episode 667. Sachin Lati is a former Canadian law enforcement officer who was my guest on episode 699. Now, what makes this conversation unique is that Sachin found himself in a very low place and reached out to Sean. So as you will hear, Sachin will talk about the dark place he was in, the interactions with other people, including Sean, how that simple human connection not only led him out of the darkness, but ultimately through post-traumatic growth and high performance. Now, I think this is an important conversation when it comes to the world of mental health because so many times it's presented as you can just deal with it. I argue that actually you can thrive. That becomes a superpower once you are able to navigate that darkness that you're coming from. And this is a perfect example of exactly that, being present for someone else and allowing trauma to become power. Now, before we get to this amazing conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of almost 850 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said... I welcome back onto the show, Sashin Lati and Sean Taylor. Enjoy. Well, 
Well, Sash and Sean, I want to start by saying welcome back to the Behind the Shield podcast. Sean, I know I've seen you on The Collective now a couple of times, three times, I think. Um, and Sash, you've done your uh, 22 marathons, 22 days since we last spoke. So firstly, I just want to welcome you back and uh, thank you for coming on again. Well, thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share again. Good to see you, guys. So... What was interesting, the backstory of this conversation is Satch and I were going to do a second part, second second uh, episode, and when I'm listening back, he talked about how powerful it was of a chance meeting with Sean when he was at a very low place in his life. He kind of walked us through from his perspective a little bit, but I was like, well, Sean and I have spoken. How cool would it be to get both of you back on and talk about that? So... What I'd love to, to do, Satch, if you wouldn't mind, just kind of cliff notes back to where you were prior to reaching out to Sean, the circumstances that you even realized he was in the area that you were at, and then we'll kind of get the ball rolling from there. Sure. Yeah. So about four years ago, I was going through a divorce, dealing with some personal issues, work issues, financial issues, all of the issues that <laughs> happen from time to time. And I was in a, I was in a pretty um, low spot. And I was pretty isolated and alone. I wasn't really hanging out with too many people. And I was started running and started trying to see how I could help myself. But it was a struggle. And um, I connected with Sean through a mutual friend of all of ours, Seb, uh, Seb Lavoie. And I, I had seen them engaging uh, through social media. And I was like, who's this guy? So I thought, okay, let me start tracking Sean, see who he is. And then I started noticing who he was. And then I was curious. I connected with him in 20, uh, December 2021. We met up and we had a conversation. Um, the reason why I reached out was because I felt pretty alone, pretty isolated, super depressed, uh, a lot of anxiety, all the things. And um, yeah, I met with him, had a conversation. And that one conversation led to a whole bunch of other conversations because I, um, I, I felt a connection to some degree. And so I kept connecting and kept talking and over a period, I guess, two, three months, I started seeing some positive growth on my part and just kept kept going with it. And that's kind of where we are now. So before we bring Sean in, when I listened to our first conversation, you basically said that he saved your life with that one moment of being there for you, stepping up. So if you wouldn't mind, elaborate on the darkness that you were at at that point. So I was, um, I felt pretty bad. I felt a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of various different things associated to the divorce that I was going through. And um, most of my friends of the last 18 years and, and that I had made over the law enforcement, I just, you know, whatever the reasons, we weren't really connecting anymore. And um, man, I, I, I felt, <laughs> I was in a dark spot, man. I was pretty angry. I was pretty toxic. I was pretty hateful. Um what else, man? I was I was just not good. And so over the first, I guess it was in 2021, I'd been running a lot just to kind of manage my mental health. And um, it was helping, I guess, a little bit, but not really helping me develop in a sense that I could move in a positive direction. So after I had run 100K on the 7th of November, 2021, I raised a bunch of money and and just did a thing but after that i was still pretty pretty depressed i was pretty i just didn't know what to do with my life man i was disillusioned i was hopeless i was 
just not in a good spot. And after I had connected with him and talked to him, mm, I just felt uh, I wasn't alone. And I asked if I could continue talking to him. And he was like, yeah, if you think it'll help. And I, I was like, yeah, I think it'll help. And we kept talking. And I, I, I mean, I... I don't say it very lightly and I, I, I genuinely mean it. And I, I really do think without meeting him, I definitely wouldn't be here right now. Now I don't know what it would look like or how that would look, but I a hundred percent know that I probably wouldn't be training to do what I'm doing. I probably wouldn't have ran 22 marathons. I probably wouldn't have raised money and I probably wouldn't have done all the positive things that have happened through that chance meeting. So um, it's definitely uh, it was a pivotal moment in my life. And it uh, was very helpful. So thanks, Sean. <laughs> so, Sean, I had a gentleman on, um, Kevin Hines, who is one of the only men or people that has ever survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he's there's documentaries about him. But I, one of the most powerful things is he talked about being there in crisis and people were driving by. And if I got my story right... And Kevin's actually coming back on the show again very soon. Someone even stopped and asked him if they could take a picture with them on the bridge. And then they went about their way. So surrounded by people, he felt completely unseen and alone. One of the most powerful things, I think, in the uniform professions is we always say, reach out. You know, I'm here for you. But is making that connection, stepping up, answering that call or text, even if it's someone that you've never really met before. So through your perspective, walk me through that message from your end and, you know, how that led to you making a decision to actually engage and ultimately meet up and be in this person's life and kind of mentor them out of the darkness themselves. Well, uh, before I met Satch, I didn't really know him uh, much at all. Uh, the Mostly I knew him from a mutual friend, Seb Lavoie. Uh, but I didn't really know much about Satch. Uh, and when um, the details are Seb and I were flying back from Haiti and uh, I got delayed over in Vancouver airport uh, an extra day. And I, I just put out a little message on social media on my Instagram said, hey, listen, I'm stuck overnight and uh, I'm looking for a mom and pop hole in the wall uh, restaurant that I uh, can get some legit uh, Asian food. Uh, does anyone know anything? Uh, hit me up. And Satch uh, hit me up like pretty quick and said, uh, hey, I'm about half an hour away. Uh, I could drive down and uh, we could go for a bite to eat or a drink or something like that. I said, bring it. And so I didn't really know who Satch was, but when he showed up, you know, uh, I liked what I saw. I thought he was a good guy and uh, I didn't, I didn't know uh, the things that he was dealing with at that time, but through the course of a conversation, like, you, you know how it is when you first meet someone, you get a vibe, you start feeling things out, you let it unfold, you get a sense of things and you start forming a pattern on an individual. And then you see how their pattern is going to interact with your pattern and whether it can be mutually helpful or whether it can either party can gain or, or what is the purpose of us spending time together. And I, I use that term purpose of spending time together carefully because we, we only have time as our resource and we need to spend it carefully. But 
I don't want to turn it into a mathematical model where you have to look at every human being in front of you and ascertain their importance within your algorithm of time and whether they get it or not. I didn't know Satch, but I gave, I, I think we hung out for near three hours that evening and, uh, and, and I didn't have three hours to give, but I gave three hours because it felt like the right thing to do. And by felt, I, I mean, I thought at the time that I was helping another person and, and I probably was, but I didn't categorize it as I'm about to save someone's life or I'm about to dot, dot, dot. That's, that seems a, a bit uh, foolish to me to think of things that way. What I did think was this guy is struggling a bit. If I can help him, I will. And that's as, as far as I took it. But over the course of days and weeks and months, and as it turns out, I guess years now, um, we stayed in touch. And initially for the first few months, we were communicating quite frequently, as frequent as every second day, sometimes every day. And by communicate, I mean like long video chats, long chats, uh, where he could look me in the eye and I could look him in the eye and I could get a good read on him and he could get a good read on me and we could interact to start moving the needle forward on Satch, becoming what Satch could become. And he didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that was. Maybe he still doesn't know what that is, because I sure don't. But I think that over a course of our relationship, it has evolved naturally based on Satch wanting to do better for himself and me wanting to support him in doing better for himself. Nowadays, we, you know, and for quite some time now, uh, Satch doesn't uh, talk to me too frequently, either by video chat or what have you. We don't do that so much anymore because Satch is like, he's out there crushing it. But if Satch dropped me a line an hour after this podcast and said, hey, can we go into a video chat? We'd be in a video chat talking about it because I make time for friends. At the time, I didn't know Satch as a friend, but now I make time for him because I consider him a friend. And again, you, I, I try to be careful with my resource, which is called time. But if we're not making time for friends, how do we understand what the value of time is? You know, that would be my first thought on uh, my relationship with Satch and how it unfolded. You said... I didn't have a concept that I was saving a life. And I think that's really important. And that's a barrier to entry for people when they potentially could be helped to someone who's struggling. Because all you can do is all you can do. You're not saving a life. You're just saving a little, meaning, you know, a, a coffee, a conversation, you know, maybe it's something more extreme, like taking them to a resource that's going to keep them safe until they get out of that headspace where they are, you know, going to commit self-harm. But I think some people are overwhelmed with the concept of someone struggling, so they do nothing. The paralysis by analysis, rather than simply going, well, what can I do? So Satch, through your eyes, what was it initially that Sean did? And then walk me through that kind of application of, of of mentorship that led to you know your way out or your your journey to where you are now all right i'm sorry <clears throat> good question i think for me man okay so there were other people that um offered help so i want to illustrate that for sure um maybe 
I guess for me, I, I had a significant ego, I suppose. And um, certain types of people I wasn't even receptive to that would would have wanted to engage with me. And then some people, you know, would. I remember one time I'd be at work, someone asked me, hey, how are you feeling today? And I was like, not good. And they just kind of kept walking. So there, there were moments like that as well. <laughs> but um, but there were other people. But I think the difference was that um, when I met with Sean in our conversations, he's ha- he has a wealth of experience. And I think for me, it was the wealth of experience that allowed me to respect him and then um, be open to suggestions. And for me, right or wrong, I mean, I wasn't listening to a lot of people <laughs> that were offering suggestions. And he just so happened to have certain level of experience that I respected that um, I felt I couldn't even argue with. I was just like, okay, man, wh- what are you suggesting? And we suggest something and I'd be like, okay. Or I would argue and then that argument would be gone fairly quickly because I, you know, he would explain his thought pattern. And for me, it just resonated. And um, I guess for me, it was the right person, right time, um, offering the right type of advice. And, and he had a level of experience that I respected. So I, I listened. When you say ego and when you say that Sean fit the bill, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm using the label of what Sean was rather than who he is. But what has the best way to articulate this? A lot of the issues I see with men accepting the mental health conversation is, well, that's weakness. And one of the beautiful things about this show is the number of people in tier one, you know, special forces and SEALs and SAS and all these other organizations and SWAT and, you know, revered firefighters all talking about their struggles, being vulnerable, and it disassembles that mythology that, you know, it is weakness. So by reaching out to someone who is at that level and them saying, okay, you know, this is real. This, you know, let me share some of my struggles. That creates buy-in then and that wall comes down. You said about ego. Was there an element of that with Sean kind of fitting the kind of uh, the pinnacle when it came to the tactical group or was it something different? It's different because I even said to him, that doesn't impress me. <laughs> I didn't really care about, I didn't care about the tier one stuff, to be honest. It kind of opened the door for me. I was like, oh, okay, cool, tier one, whatever. But it was more just uh, for me, and I he had mentioned that to me even in our conversation, you know, oh, it's because of this, that, and the other. I'm like, not really, man. I just like the way you think, like the way you think. So, and the variety of careers and the athletic performance and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't, I mean, I guess the tier one stuff, you know, built a level of curiosity for me. But outside of that, it wasn't, um, it was a lot of other things that kept me and um, allowed me to take in the information if that makes sense well you said some people were the wrong fit describe the wrong fit okay so yeah so i had an ego so i'll describe the ego piece and i thought i knew everything <laughs> i thought i uh, i had uh, everything figured out despite my life wasn't in a good spot <laughs> it was so del- so delusional i thought i knew everything but i had uh, drove my life into a ditch so i didn't really know much so i think it was more of like a defense thing like i would be talking to people and i'd look at them i'd judge them fairly quickly based upon how they may have looked or what they may have done or how they may have done it. And um, so for me, and, you know, at the time I wasn't really friendly with people. I wasn't really connecting with too many people. I was a bit of an ass. So it was hard to kind of connect. And I guess meeting with him, 
um, I engaged him. So it would, it would be kind of weird if I engaged him and I presented a bit of an ego and, and was acting a certain way. But yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. It does. I think this is the thing. The buy-in is a big piece. You know, if someone comes to my fire department and they're wearing spandex and a, and a you know, a head sweat band, you know, and they're like, all right, we're going to do step aerobics today. People are going to be like, get the fuck out of my fire station. You have no <laughs> idea what we do. But if someone comes in and they were a Green Beret and a strength and conditioning coach, you're going to get a bunch of people listening. I think the same thing applies to the mental health a lot of the time, not all the time. Um, so the buy-in, the initial reason to maybe even reaching out is kind of like navigating yeah. that. Now, Sean, you know, you get this conversation again, you're not a mental health professional. I'm not a mental health professional, but the area of expertise that you did have was human performance. So how were you able to become a mentor in that space and start applying that to Satch's, you know, training and, and kind of five-year plans and use your skill set as part of, of his, uh, his um, kind of ladder to get out of that hole? That's a great question. And I think it's kind of a two-pronged answer to some degree, James, because whatever qualifications or experiences I've got within uh, sort of the performance-related uh, world or what have you, I've got a few, uh, but I've also got this other prong, and it's called my life experiences. And so uh, that goes all the way back to being a young boy, right to near 60-year-old uh, uh, right now. And so that's decades of experience. And so sometimes when I'm talking with someone like Satch, I've probably got 20 years on him or close to it. And But I don't look like I'm 60. So when I'm communicating with someone, they'll, they'll, um, they're at a disadvantage to some degree because I've got an extra 20 years of life, kind of. And so uh, in those 20 years, I've made a boatload of uh, mistakes. And so I find nowadays that whoever I'm talking with, they will enter into a point of discussion at some period through the conversation and they'll say, well, you know, and I'm going to give a crude example here, uh, but uh, it'll go along the lines of, well, you know, uh, you wouldn't understand because uh, nobody uh, around you has ever committed suicide. And then I'll look them in the eye and said, except for my brother that you probably didn't know about. And they'll be taken aback because they'll, some people, think that they have a monopoly on their own experience and no one else has experienced it. So sometimes the person in front of you can be talking at you as if you know nothing about the subject, whereas it's the contrary to that. I probably have more experience than they can imagine. And so that comes down to that two-way highway of communication. If someone, if Satch would have come if Satch would have said, hey, can I sit down with you and then just talked at me for three hours? Satch wouldn't be in this conversation right now. He wouldn't be behind this microphone right now. But we had a two-way communication. And it was my job in that moment as a, we'll call it a coach, for me to draw all of the things out of Satch that I could in that moment, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so that I could better understand where he was at make him feel comfortable while he was relaying that and then figure out with him, not for him, but with him, how I could be helpful. And so that three hours, whether he understands it or not, even to this day, there was a lot going on that he probably wasn't fully aware of, but it was my job with a clear head 
a clear coaching mind, a clear trajectory for what I thought would work for Satch. It was my job to stick handle that. His only job in that moment was to be transparent with me, to be vulnerable with me, just as I was being with him. I was setting a tone for him to synchronize with so that he could display himself to me as I was displaying myself to him. Once we were synchronized, we could get to work on what it was that he wanted to work at, if that makes sense. I'm going to keep the mic on you for a second. When I think we were on the collective the last time, you mentioned about our conversation. The podcast I did with you was your first one. And you've had this metamorphosis of unpacking your own story. Talk to me about that journey of vulnerability yourself, like being able to kind of access some of these areas that you hadn't or you you'd kept very tight-lipped about before to, I'm assuming, try and amplify that vulnerability, you know, not only within your own life, but also the people that you interact with. Well, it's a great question. And you're right. When I was on your podcast, uh, I, I didn't have my act together. And what does that even mean? What I, for me, what that means is I hadn't, I, I didn't understand the weight of the moment. I didn't understand why I was there or if I should even be there. Um, I didn't understand the ramifications for the future. I hadn't thought it out fully. And therefore, when I was on your podcast, I didn't perform the way I should have. And what does that even mean? Contextually, I can look backwards at that time and realize that I kind of sucked. I wasn't good at it. I probably shouldn't have done it. I probably wasn't ready for it. But the best news is, out of all of that, I've I've said some negative things there, like wasn't ready, shouldn't have, blah, blah, blah. That's precisely why I had to do it. That's precisely why I'm so glad I did. Because now I can see clearly, looking backwards, after a boatload of podcasts, that I needed to understand how to communicate my life to others in a manner that helped them, helped me, helped me communicate in a way that was impactful to people out there who were starting to listen to the things I had to say. So uh, to your question, uh, when you and I first talked on the podcast, I didn't have my act together. And it was because of that I now have my act together more because I realize the weight of our of my words of these kind of interactions. The three of us right now in this podcast, it's an important moment. I understand that truly now. When I first started podcasting, I didn't understand it. Well, what's beautiful about that perspective is because we ended up doing it three times. And if you remember, we did and so you know, I can look back at seven years ago, six years ago, four years ago. Oh, my God, I can't believe I asked those questions or whatever. But that was seven years, six years and four years ago. This is the beautiful thing about it. And expecting perfection or going back and deleting, you know, an episode. Oh, that was shit. I'm just, No, that was the moment at that point. And our conversation is the only one I've ever done three times. But how beautiful is that? That that started a journey and now you have your own podcast. I mean, this is this to me is is phenomenal. So, you know, it doesn't have to be your best work. I think the the 
most courageous thing and it's ironic i'm talking to a tier one operator about courage but i mean it's got so many different manifestations is the first most courageous thing a person could do is step into an arena where they're absolutely fucking awful at the thing and be bad i think we even discussed that concept in in our conversation but going into that place and it is indelible too on a podcast you know that recording Imagine having 820 plus episodes of your fucking voice and your mistakes and everything like I have. That stays there forever, but it also forces you to grow, which I think is an amazing thing. It is. I I truly hold it as my, uh, as you said, metamorphosis. I stunk up the place so bad that I never wanted to smell that smell again. <laughs> it wasn't that so, bad. <laughs> well, in my mind, it was. And so uh, it, it requires... Um, it requires failure to begin pursuing excellence, in my opinion, just like Satch did. Uh, he was failing in life at the point that him and I met. And at some point in that conversation, he decided he was going to pursue betterment. Now, he may not have been able to define, to define that clearly in that moment. Maybe it was just a vibe. Maybe it was just a feeling that there's something here that I can sink my teeth into that's going to make me better? That that would be a great question for Satch. But as I sat there, I saw a guy who minute by minute during our conversation was, was getting back into the game of life more and more each hour. And so uh, I didn't know it would end up uh, at this position in time where we're at right now, where he's podcasting and running across Canada and et cetera. But I do remember this uh, from early in our uh, relationship. People were connecting with me uh, in my DMs. They didn't really know Satch, but they knew me. And here's what they were saying. It's a really powerful relationship that you two have. Sometimes I watch what you two are doing when you're talking, and it makes me cry. Like Satch's story was touching people. And when I say Satch's story, I mean mostly him, but a tiny bit of me. Our relationship from the get-go created a, um, a, a real powerful story where Satch could represent almost not the everyday man, but the fact that no matter how much of in the hurt locker you are, with the right person at the right time, but with a whole lot of conviction added to it, you can go from deep into the from the dark cave right out into the bright light of the world and then become a light in the world, which is what I've seen Satch do. Absolutely. I went to see Avenge Sevenfold and uh, Falling in Reverse with my wife yesterday. And about halfway through the Avenge Sevenfold set, they the the singer started speaking about when they lost their drummer to an overdose in 2009 i believe and the in the conversation they basically had stopped touring for six years and ironically that same day i'd shared a a, a speech by dave or an interview with, with dave grohl and it was the same thing with nirvana like it just totally knocked them off their feet anyway they they do this this uh speech and then they start playing this song which kind of you know obviously is is in memory of the drummer and i try not to get my phone out in the concert it's, it's an absolute nightmare with all these screens everywhere distracting you but i looked around and everyone had their cell phone camera you know what used to be the lighter up 
the entire arena. And so I just did a little 360 pan quickly. And as I'm looking around, my wife, who's lost her best friend this last year, she lost her boyfriend to suicide before me. And then the people we were with, they're, they're, they're in tears, people to the left. And I realize everyone here has lost someone. That's why this song is resonating so deeply with them. And so with that comparison of trauma, as you said, it doesn't matter the description of the trauma. Loss is loss. Pain is pain. So, you know, I just want to put that in there. It was just a beautiful moment. And I realized that we're all bound by this human connection, regardless of politics or ethnicity or whatever. This is a, a human experience. So, Satch, I want to go back to you. You know, you you start, you know, this mentorship with Sean. Walk me through why that was one of the, you know, obviously, again, it's not everything, but why that was one of the kind of toolboxes that you were given that got you back on the upswing. And let's go all the way through to the 22 marathons that you just completed. Yeah, I mean, this podcast is pretty special for me too. because We're kind of at a point where it's like, I'm not in a, in a spot where I was before and it's having this conversation. So I love this. It's good. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> It's pretty legit. Anyway, um, sorry, what was the question? I had to get that off my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's beautiful. Um, so again, you sit down. Obviously, Sean has given you some of the the uh, philosophies, principles, human performance um, expertise so that you can start forging this plan and getting from finding running cathartic to using it as a superpower. Walk me through kind of the the other end of that, the student's end of that, and then let's go all the way through to this metamorphosis that you've had and these these runs that you've just done. Yeah, I had, I mean, there was a lot to learn and, and really it wasn't even from the performance perspective. A lot of the performance stuff I was trying to learn, on, I was learning kind of on my own and Sean would suggest things, but sometimes he would plant some seeds that were not growing <laughs> just on purpose so I could kind of, you know, help myself learn, learn on my own rather than being told what to do. Um, but it, a lot of the suggestions were guidance on how to do life better, right? Like I, I wanted to, I felt like I was going through the motions of life, like waiting to die. That's what I was feeling like. And and I could see my parents, family, friends, a lot of people living that way. And I just didn't want to live that way. I wanted to live a more enriching life. And I just didn't know how to do that. So some of the suggestions that Sean was suggesting were really helpful. And it was really just words, like terms, like, you know, doing life better. Okay, well, that kind of resonated with me. How do I do life better? How do I do that? So little con suggestions, connecting with people. Like I remember when Seb, uh, Seb was starting his mental health walks and um, he was doing, he does them every other Sunday and I had no intention of going, like zero. <laughs> I was like, why, what would I go for? And, uh, you know, little things like that. Sean would suggest, hey, maybe you should probably check that out. Maybe you should connect with people and just little things like that was what really helped me get out of my, the ditch, right? I started kind of getting out of that by connecting with people, talking to people that I would have never thought to talk to before and just because of my ego. So connecting, talking to um, people. And through that process, I started recognizing that, um, you know, all kinds of people have all kinds of experiences and we're likely more alike than we're different. So I started recognizing that. And then, you know, through our weekly conversations, uh, we would have conversations about training and running and, and and things of that nature. But it was more of like how to continue moving rather than how do I run better, 
right? How do I continue uh, overcoming challenges like pains or discomfort or things like that? So more mindset type of coaching and how to overcome those types of things. I remember when I was um, my first ultra I was going to do, I think it was in April of 2022. It was a backyard ultra up in salmon arm <laughs> and uh so just for your listeners the backyard ultra um is a uh, uh it had a loop of about 6.7 kilometers with about 150 meters of elevation gain through that 6.7 kilometers and you just keep going within an, so you have to do that loop within 60 minutes and you make it with that loop and you just keep going and going and going until you can't and so i had never done a ultra before I had never experienced the environment. I didn't even know what was required to go to one. I didn't even understand the gear and food, nothing. And so I would ask John questions. And I mean, he wasn't really giving me too much on how to prepare for it other than mindset. But I was, my ego was so out of control at that time. I was like, yeah, I'll crush a hundred miles easy. No big deal. Whatever. I did this thing before I ran a hundred K on my own. I could run a hundred miles, whatever. I got there and I was like, pretty out of my element man <laughs> there was people with pit crews and i was there by myself with a bag of nuts like a like <laughs> legitimate like a bag of almonds and mixed nuts and i thought that was gonna be enough anyway so it was little things like that I, I i mean i i suspect he probably kind of guided me into feeling a little bit of a, a sting from that because i i didn't eh, we might debate this but i didn't quit it i just couldn't make it to the next cutoff point um which was based on time and um so we had a conversation about that one after and um it was helpful it, you know after having a conversation on you know not making meeting expectations <laughs> i uh i um i started reevaluating how to do the next run better and so each run that i had done last year which was an ultra every month um i epically failed each one of them <laughs> but i learned on each one of them. So I think what I, what was really helpful in, in communicating with Sean is how to learn how to, how to improve off of issue, or mistakes I had made and not beat myself up because of those mistakes, but just keep moving forward rather than, Oh, I'm, you know, I suck. I'm this, I'm that. Okay. Just observe what you did and figure out how to do it better and, and apply those skills next time. Sean, your response. Yeah, I, I feel that uh, that's pretty close to the truth of the matter. You know, uh, when I first met Sachin, he was mentioning things like, you know, go out and and uh, join the mental health walk uh, with some people that perhaps he'd never talked to before. Preceding that, I'd, I'd challenge Sachin to, hey, you know, why don't you just go out and go to a random coffee shop and sit in it for a little while, see if you can meet someone. How about this this time you try to strike up a conversation with a stranger in a coffee shop? How about you learn how to brew coffee in a way that you've never brewed it before so that you can maybe start uh, gaining friends who are into coffee? Just just start forming relationships that are based on passion rather than empty moments of uh, inane conversation. That relationship building through a um, a long-term trajectory, as it were. And so Satch did engage in that. And, and week by week, month by month, he was interacting with more and more people, feeling more and more comfortable with it. Until one day, I think he found himself just, for lack of a better term, I'm going to use the term normal. Just another normal guy, you know, who, who does these things well-ish. But uh, that well-ish 
wasn't enough for the task that he had set for himself at the time, which was to run across Canada. So as you know, you for trajectory uh, strategize, or at least that's what I was doing, uh, I considered that at some point he's going to have to run and talk to people on that running route. So uh, trying to scale Satch up to become what he had uh, self-visualized of running across Canada as an inspiring individual, there's a lot of moving parts to that beyond just the administrative portion. And so most of those things are mindset-based, are the way you run your life based. They're not about what running shoes are you using or how many carbs per hour. These are much more deeper philosophical wisdom-based ways to run your life. And so that's what we spent a lot of our time talking about, uh, though uh, maybe Satch initially thought that I was trying to high-performance coach him, and, and not as an athlete, but just as a person. It was much more than that. I was and I wasn't trying to life coaching, coach him. If I'm being honest, what I was trying to create was a strong relationship that other people out on the internet could observe as a successful story based on a guy who committed to a program that he didn't fully understand at the time, but saw enough success in it that he continually engaged in it month after month until he's at the point where he's at right now. Satch is a self-created man at this point. I had very little to do with it in a sense. But at the start, he needed some help. And I was happy to do that as every human being should be happy to do for another human being, as long as you understand that it's within your abilities. So kind of trying to glean what you said, it sounds like you never imparted tools specifically it was principles or even concepts to explore that may or may not lead to failure and therefore lessons we are surrounded by a lot of people now that call themselves life coaches and you know all kinds of stuff that tell you you know if you do a b c d and e and you lift this way and you eat this way then your life's going to be better but we're human beings and we're all different so what made you use the philosophy that you did the you know the the kind of general self exploration compass philosophy rather than let me send you a, a wellness sheet and you just check the boxes when you do it uh because that's the way i work best i work best boutiquely working with the person in front of me like i like to feel like my time on the planet is worthwhile and, and a cookie cutter one pager photocopied from the other thousand photocopies that I handed out over the decades, that just ain't me. I'm not a photocopy guy. I may look the person in the eye and then deliver the best I can for them in the now. And that now solution will be different a month from now. And so I, my greatest love in life is to work with someone in the now. And that takes many forms based on the individual who's in front of me. I've been doing it a long time with a lot of athletes, a lot of people in a lot of different industries for decades. And whether I've done it well or not, 
I sure have made enough mistakes that I can do it better than quite a few out there. I'm not the leading expert in any of this at all. I may, I may only be a 7 out of 10 in respect to how to do these kind of things. But that 7 out of 10 ain't bad. Because as I look back over the years, it's created results. And not results in the sense of, I created Sachin. When I say it creates results, I mean, I know how to work with someone so that they become awesome whatever that means. Well, Sash, before we hit record, you, you <laughs> said something like, I'm a completely different person than the last time we did an interview. So walk me through that continual evolution, and then let's talk about the, the marathons that you just ran. I mean, that's what we should be, I think, right? I, I'm trying to improve all the time, man, like, especially now. Um, I hope that in six months from now, I'm a different human again. I just want to keep evolving, keep growing, keep being better at whatever I'm trying to do. So I think a lot clearer now. I'm a lot more calm now. I have a lot more um, self-belief, self-worth, confidence. I have a sense of duty and obligation to the greater good or collective around me. So these are all giving me purpose. And I have a level of purpose now I've never really had before. Working in law enforcement for me wasn't really my purpose uh, and maybe different than many other people. Uh, it was a paycheck for me and um, I didn't go into it thinking um, purpose. I went into it thinking pension and, and security. And um, so, you know, I had the wrong idea the whole time. And as soon as I met Sean, it was really simple, really simple things that I never done. Right. Sit down. What's your why? Write it down figure it out and spend time doing that. I spent like maybe a few weeks trying to figure that out <laughs> and little things like that, understanding what my purpose is. What do I want to do, man? Well, maximize my skills for, for everyone around me. Simple. So if I can do those things every single day, life's exciting. <laughs> life's good because your skill, you, have, you would hope to have some skills. And if you don't, it takes forever to develop them. So you're going to be busy for the rest of your life. So I'm, uh, yeah, so I kept growing, developing, and learning. Really, last year, nine ultras. I learned a ton last year, man. I like, you know, trying to do nine ultra marathons. That's one thing from a performance perspective. But, well, how do I communicate better with people? How do I engage more people? How do I increase the footprint of what we're trying to do, raise money and awareness? How do I do those things? Well, I had no clue four years ago. <laughs> I had no clue how to do that. Now I understand a little bit better on how to do that speaking on a podcast communicating like this i couldn't do this two years ago three years ago i couldn't even i couldn't have a proper conversation let alone you know running across the province in august 22 marathons in a row the running was the i don't want to say the easiest part but it wasn't the most challenging as it related to all the other things associated to it organizing planning connecting with people um you know all of that i couldn't have done 12 months ago it wouldn't have, it would have been too hard for me because um, I had planned some stuff to to make sure that I had certain things happen, and none of them happened in August, and that would have screwed me up. So, but like day one, day two, obstacles started presenting themselves, and we just started pivoting, figuring them out as we went. So it wasn't a huge issue. Um, and yeah, so I, I think for me, there was a lot of growth over the last year, two years, or however last time we had a conversation. So obviously, running is part of the conversation 
giving back you know altruism is always a, a common denominator when it comes to someone's growth and healing in my opinion what are some of the tools that you found along the way on this journey of exploration that you use now whether it's daily weekly that you didn't before when you were struggling i think about other people before myself <clears throat> every single time because i i naturally just think about myself <laughs> it's like just organic like i just i'm neurotic generally speaking have a kind of a weird sort of mentality in that regard but as soon as i started trying to um change my thought pattern to think of other people if that had to mean my ex-wife think of her before me that was the really starting point for me man like uh, a few years ago she made a few comments towards me and i took them to heart and um i didn't want really that to stand she called me selfish and she was right and so I, I i don't want that i don't want people to think of me as a selfish person so i constantly think about how do i move in a way that i'm not selfish so as soon as i started thinking about other people man i, I wasn't thinking about my uselessness <laughs> i wasn't thinking about how about myself i wasn't in my own head and uh, I said this a bunch of times to other people, uh, like service saved my life. Service was my salvation. Like without serving in the way that I want to serve and the way I think of it, man, it's changed everything for me. Well, you, you know, you're somewhat unique as far and extremely honest about it, which I think is so important because there are groups of people that exist in all the uniform professions that are there for a paycheck, there for benefits. In fact, I'm blanking on who it was, but someone just the other day, that's what took them into the military until they got bitten by the bug and then, you know, they ended up being passionate. I think it was Roby. Um, but, uh, but when people transition out, when they are going in to serve, this is a struggle that I hear over and over again. And more often than not, once they find another purpose, because there's a you know, hundred thousand ways to serve, it doesn't have to be in a uniform. That seems to be when they kind of find their feet again and then, you know, move forward. Yeah. I think for me, um, out of the uniform is better for me because I don't, I like to think for myself. I like to make my own decisions. I like to think outside of the box. I like to do those types of things. And, you know, whatever the reason is, I may have not felt that way years ago, or, you know, working in an environment where you don't have much control over how you move forward. Wasn't, um, I don't think is the type of person I am. So I, I think maybe I wasn't really designed to go into a uniform career. But having said that, man, I feel pretty, um, I feel like what I'm doing is pretty authentic and organic for me now. It's like not even, I'm not even thinking of what to do. I just kind of do. And, um, you know, I've been moving forward without understanding what the future holds. You know, maybe I have a rough understanding of the future to a certain degree. There's a lot of uncertainty, but now I'm, I'm kind of okay with that because things have been working out and I just keep moving forward doing the things that I like to do in the way that I like to do them, serving other people and then kind of attacking any opportunity or, or something that presents itself. I, I look at it and see if it's a worthy cause and then I engage it or don't. So it's been um, out of the uniform has definitely much been much better for me in terms of service. So one if, more thing. Don't, I'm sorry, Sean, jump in, please. Just a couple of things. Uh, one is, um, so Satch is describing something that I feel is a process, at least in my mind, I think of it as a process. 
And Satch was a part of the process. And the process kind of looks like this in general terms. Someone shows up and they're in the hurt locker. You help them out of the hurt locker. You teach them to self-actualize. And then you let them self-actualize. And Satch is now self-actualized. He he doesn't need me. He doesn't need anyone. He can now take care of all of these things himself. If he uh, hits me up later today or later this month or whatever the case is, it's not because we're in phase one or phase two of the helping someone out of the problem. He's he's in the phase called self-actualized, where he is able to not only manage his life in a way that he enjoys, but he's building on that enjoyed life. That's self-actualized. Not everyone is in that position. There's veterans who are in that first phase and that second phase and may never see the third phase of self-actualized unless they talk to the right person. That's something to consider for anyone out there who's listening. The second thing I'd like to add is know your why. And this is this should play well, James, with your comment about Dave Grohl. Uh, from uh, Foo Fighters. And uh, I was, uh, I just saw it this morning, coincidentally, it was a video. And uh, Dave Grohl was on a talk show. And uh, he was being asked uh, a few things. And then he relayed a story. And I don't think anyone expected the story. The story kind of went along these lines. He had quit rock. He he'd quit being a musician. He He, he couldn't do anything after Nirvana, after Kurt Cobain. And so he was out of the game. And he decided to go to the Ring of Kerry in Ireland to get some time alone, get away from it all, get his head right. And as he was driving through the Ring of Kerry, he, it was, as he said, I believe it was lightly raining. And he came up on a guy who was uh, hitchhiking overcoat and and as he kind of pulled up on this guy this guy was wearing a Kurt Cobain t-shirt and as Dave Grohl said in the interview uh on this talk show man I just can't get away from it I just can't evade what is directly in front of me I'm never gonna get away from this I can't quit life I can't get away from that life, so I have to get on with my life. And so he said he left the Ring of Kerry, went back to the United States, and started up a little rock uh, band called, maybe you've heard of it, Foo Fighters. And so, I mean, it's a great story, man. It's a great story. It's a great story of a guy who had his why, and then he lost sight of his why, and through a random, unplanned, brief flash of the universe in front of his face a t-shirt was enough to turn him around and so that t-shirt moment with dave Grohl is satch and me it's it's a random moment man and these random moments are all around us all the time there's there's hitchhikers and satches and sean's and dave Grohl's all over the world but the only time those things come together and make a meaningful change in someone's life is when the guy behind the driver or behind the steering wheel of the car and the hitchhiker out on the side of the road look each other in the eye and figure out what's going on in the moment. 
and then do something about it. That was the video I was talking about. I shared yesterday. I don't know if you saw it on mine or not, but it was the Graham, uh, Graham Norton show. Yes, yes, that's it, buddy. It was probably from you. And he said, I realized at that point that I can't run from it. And that's right. Like, that's a mic drop moment right there. It's between your ears, no matter where you go, whether it's the bottom of the earth or out in space or Antarctica or the Arctic, it's still going to be with you until you turn around and face it. That's right. We'll stay in with you, Sean. This would be an interesting perspective. We have our conversation. It's the first time you do a podcast. Now you guys have the collective um, and you've done hundreds of podcasts. So this yeah i mean this because you guys do every single day don't you i think right monday through sunday so walk me through some of the the ahas or commonalities or things if you had to look back and summarize some of the lessons learned from i'm frozen behind a microphone to all these people that you've got to interact with and interview and listen to now what have been some of the kind of bullet points if you could summarize a few well to go back to the first time that i got in front of a microphone uh, I've already established that I stunk up the place and I was freaking out. And so from from kind of like not quite a worst case scenario, but certainly from a this is not a great start till today, all of those podcasts that I've done, the hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, each one has built on the next one. Each one gives me some minor wisdom from the person that I'm talking to. I, I've now, I, I don't have the luxury of talking to all of the amazing people that you have, James, but now I've talked to a lot of amazing people in podcasts. And I find for myself, every time I interact with someone who is wise, I gain. And so I just keep committing, stacking the wisdom minor wisdoms on top of minor wisdoms until I'm at a point now where I can look back. And this is the reflection part. I couldn't see it on day one, but it's so evident to me now that when I committed to podcasting, that was the start of a very long journey that is so worthwhile. The things that I've learned about myself about other human beings, and more importantly, how to connect my minor wisdoms out there to the world so that others can then stack that minor wisdom into their lives and then add their wisdom to other people's lives. That's what I feel has been the biggest benefit for me, watching my personal growth, watching the collective's growth, and feeling a sense of not pride, but a sense of worth that I know there's people out there right now at this very moment that I don't know who have benefited from me engaging in this process. Seven years ago, if people had asked me a question or I'd been in conversation, I'd be like, oh, you know, that that sounds bad or that's a shame. or And it's amazing now. And if you're starting to find this, you're like, huh, well, let me let me tell you about this guy I had on the show who's got a solution to that thing. You know, let me send you a link to that episode. And it's incredible. The whole, my whole conversational space now is different because it's become a library. And I'm not the expert, but I know so many people and I've gleaned just enough to be like, huh, your back pain. Let me tell you about foundation training. I'm going to send you a YouTube link. 
you know, this is this is how it helped me. I was a firefighter. I fucked up my back. You know, I was told I needed surgery. Didn't do it. Used this movement practice. Healed my back. Just did a fitness competition the other day, deadlifting 225 tens and tens of times. So what I this this accumulation of knowledge. I think A makes you a more interesting person, not that you're trying to be the interesting in the room, but you have a response to a conversation that you can then open more doors and add more value. And then the conversation starts going to some really interesting places with people that you might have had a very, very superficial conversation with normally. And this is not so much in the interview, but in everyday life. So you might have just talked about your coffee or traffic or weather or whatever. And now you actually found yourself talking about their childhood trauma or for example, for you, the loss of the brother, you know, and now you're going into a place of value rather than a very superficial interaction. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, one of the important aspects of podcasting, just as we are right now, I don't, I'm not actively seeking to push wisdom out. I'm just actively engaging in the now. And podcasting is all about who you're podcasting with. I do a live chat where I just talk to the internet and I'm not interacting with anyone in, on Instagram. And it's it's difficult because you're not interacting with anyone. But the moment that you start interacting with people in a podcast like The Collective or on this podcast right now, well, now you now it's an interactive process. It is an ebb and flow. It is a give and take. It is a learn and learn moment. And I think that uh, my experience in podcasting to date, out of all of the people that I've talked to, I've come to understand that the true value in podcasting is not only the person in front of you, but the people that they represent behind them. All of the wisdoms that is pushed into that person is what you're looking at. Their network is what you're networking with. James's network is massive. The collective's network is getting bigger, but it's it's much smaller than uh, James's network in context. But right now, as James and I communicate in this very moment, our networks are shared networks. It's a really powerful thing once you start understanding that concept, I think. Absolutely. Well, Satch, I want to go back to you. Um, you know, we just did the 22 marathons in 22 days expand on that talk to us about the you know, the training for running across the entire you know country of canada and terry fox's footsteps um and then anything else that you kind of want to impart before we start closing out yeah thanks man um yeah so i i ran 22 marathons in 22 days in august but it wasn't um I wasn't doing races. I was I was just doing the distance of a marathon, so 42.2 kilometers each day for 22 days. And I decided to do it across the province of BC so that we could um, I don't know. So one reason is as a training block to ultimately run across Canada in two years. So it was a, a significant training block that I could have. Um I wanted to also engage with some people along the way and see if we can meet with some firefighters because in the month of August. BC has a crazy fire season and this year was no different. So I wanted to raise some awareness to, to that. And um, I wanted to get some hard training. And so we had a bit of elevation through those 22 days and uh, I had never done anything like that before. The, the furthest I had ran was probably, or the most I had ran was probably three marathons in, 
in three days consecutively. So this was a significant jump forward in terms of what the capacity was for what I was ever, uh, what I've done before. So the training was pretty substantial. I mean, I started training December of last year and it started with just training, changing my running mechanics so I could run more effectively and efficiently rather than how I was running before. So that's took about six weeks to just start that process. And then training block after training block throughout the months, it built up to in and around June, I had a six week training block where I was running uh, close to a thousand kilometers for those six weeks, but 150 kilometers or 150 kilometers a week or almost a hundred miles a week. And those were challenging. Actually, I, I would, I would argue some of the training that I was doing was a bit harder than the actual 22 days itself. Cause um, I had never done that. And I was running and training all on my own, wasn't really with anyone else. So I was figuring out my own nutrition, my own hydration, like all these things just kind of um, manipulated. I, I did have a, a running coach who programmed a lot of the running for me. So Ron Lowen is a local um, coach here in, in the lower mainland. And he, he would program my stuff. And over the last year, I've had a few friends kind of, I've made some friends along this journey and have created almost a team around me to help me through the process of training. So strength and conditioning coach, uh, Jake Doan and, um, kinesiologist, physiotherapist, all these different people that have been part of the process to help me to achieve what, um, what I did. So these people were he helping me from a, a training perspective and performance perspective. And then when it came to the running in June and July for the training block of building up to the 22 marathons, that was essentially by, on my own and trying to figure out how to properly do that. And then, you know, it got to the point where I got to August and August we kicked off from a town called Revelstoke on the eastern part of British Columbia. And I uh, was with my girlfriend. So she was my support vehicle. She had a truck and I had all my food and everything in that. And then we just kind of started. And each day we would try to run to another town. But as you can imagine, when you're doing something that large, things come up. And, uh, you know, what's the saying Mike Tyson said? Everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face. <laughs> I got punched in the face day two. <laughs> so things had to kind of shift a little bit. So um, there was significant smoke in the area for most of the first 10, 10, 11 days because of the forest fires and recommendations to not run outside, obviously, but um, that wasn't an option. So um, actually day two, um, Julia's car was having issues. So we weren't even able to drive it. So we had to really, adapt and overcome so we were just i ended up staying in revelstoke for a few days until we actually sorted out the vehicle so it was the first the second day i ran half the marathon outside and then elected to run the rest of it on a treadmill because um i was getting in my head uh you know i was getting messages from a lot of people hey should you be outside it's going to be unhealthy this that and the other and that started kind of bugging me because i i, I was actually feeling some headaches and and some side effects to the smoke but um and then the third day i did the whole marathon on a treadmill and that's when i got the message from sean <laughs> um, um suggesting that i figure out how to get the car squared away so i can get back on the road so we got that sorted out and um got back on the road probably day four ish and continued down and you know the first 10 days were were a challenge man they were hard they were because it was a new thing for me. I had never done it. I was trying to understand how to navigate through that. And I'm in a new relationship trying to navigate through that while I'm trying to run across the province. So there was a lot going on and a lot to manage. But um, once we got to 
Ashcroft, which was halfway through. And Ashcroft is where Honor Ranch is, so the, the, the charity that I'm supporting. It's got 120 acres, 10 cabins on it for members to use whenever they want so they can go relax and recalibrate. So I stayed there. And it was in and around 40 degrees Celsius. So then that had its own challenges running in, in that kind of weather. Um, again, the smoke rolled in on day 11, so, which was pretty bad. Ended up getting, you know, a couple nosebleeds and whatnot, but nothing that was um, going to end the run. And once we made it through Ashcroft and the heat, we got to Little Wet, which is another small little town that was fairly hot, but that was getting actually, you know what? We had a bit of an issue that day too. So I started understanding fueling my body and nutrition and how to properly do it. And I was eating as much as I possibly could because I was burning so many calories each day. And I was trying to set myself up for the next day. So I was able to run them. So the day before we kicked off to go to Lillooet, I don't think I ate enough. So when I started the run, I'm running halfway through. And I was like, holy man, my legs are not moving, super heavy. And again, started getting in my own head and started not freaking out. But it's like, man, I don't want to not complete and I just finished halfway through I don't want to be that guy who did half and then jammed out right so um so I called an audible and I I uh I spoke to Julia who was driving and I was like um let's finish the first 21 just drive into Lillooet get some food eat as much as I can and then we'll kick back off for the other half so ended up doing that and that worked so I ended up getting some food in me and luckily that was the issue and I felt fresh after getting some food and from then on, it was, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was less challenging because I was in a groove, started feeling the flow, um, got had dialed in my nutrition, my food, my liquid, my electrolytes, all those things during the run itself. And then when I got to day 15 and 16, the adaptation of the, um, the running started taking effect. So I started actually feeling pretty strong and pretty, yeah, pretty strong. I was feeling pretty good, actually. Um, and I was trying to maintain a pace for all of the 22 days that wasn't super fast so that I can still be able to run for the next day. So the pacing was in and around seven minutes per kilometer, seven and a half minutes a kilometer. And when I got to day 15, 16, 17, I felt like, okay, I can go a lot faster here. But I stayed within the allotted time frame that I set for myself before I kicked off. Um, but yeah, man, the real, the last five, six days was pleasant. I ended up coming back into the lower mainland of British Columbia where I live and it just shifted. Everything just shifted, man. It was like the weather dropped like five or 10 degrees Celsius. So it was a lot cooler. So I didn't have to get up super early as I was trying to avoid the heat in the other areas. So that allowed me to get more sleep. And then it was familiar territory, not as much smoke. I mean, there was still smoke, but it was nothing compared to what I was dealing with before. So it was like a non-factor. And um, once that started happening, we got to, you know, Squamish, Whistler, and things started looking different seeing the scenery that we had was beautiful mountains and trees everything was lush the water from the rapids in, in the whistle area was beautiful to see as i'm running so those things were kind of fueling me along the way and then eventually we got to the end um the last day we were we had to finish in victoria and victoria is on the island so we had to take a ferry to get there it's about a 90 minute ferry so the uh you know it's about 32 kilometers from the ferry point where the ferry arrives on the island to get to Victoria, where I was going to end. So I had to get a, about 10, 11 kilometers in before I actually kicked off to the ferry. 
So I ended up running at the fer- on the ferry itself, um, getting the kilometers in there so I could at least uh, avoid wasting time after. Got there, felt super fresh when I was running to Victoria. I suspect it was probably the adrenaline dump and excitement of finishing. And So bombed down all the way down, got to the BC Law Enforcement Memorial. It was where I wanted to end. And that's where the names of all the fallen members of first responders, their names are, are written on that uh, monument. So I wanted to finish there. And when I got there, it was pretty awesome, man. Like, I didn't expect anyone to do anything for me. I just kind of wanted to do a thing. And um, the chief of Victoria Police was there with about 12 members just waiting to receive me, which was kind of cool. Well, no, it was really cool. It was awesome. And to, to top it all off... <laughs> Right when I got there, the chief of police was like, hey, man, can you give us some inspiring words? I was like, cool, man. Yeah, I just finished running a whole bunch. I I got a lot of things to say at this moment. Not really. No, I was tired. (laughs) And um, I was talking and there was a. So I was right in front of the uh, the monument. And then we had 12 members around kind of the semicircle around me. And to my left flank, I saw an elder guy, older guy. Probably in his 70s. Um, wasn't wearing a uniform, clearly. And he he wanted to, you know, share some thoughts. So I um I I engaged with him and, and he wanted to just thank me for what I what I did. So for me, that was pretty important to hear because um he had mentioned that he was a veteran. He served in the Canadian Air Force in the 70s, and after he had retired, he became a police officer with the Toronto police service and through his service, he experienced um, mental health issues. So he's been, di- he was diagnosed with PTSD and um, he wanted to thank me for what I did and appreciated the fact that I, what I was doing and and he, he said it was helpful or it's helpful for people. And I don't know, man, that for me, that, that made everything worth it for me because right at the end of it, it was awesome to hear somebody um, say something like that. And it uh, really resonated. So all in all, the 22 days were pretty amazing. Um, I learned a ton of stuff and I'm definitely a different per- different person after running those 22 marathons mentally, for sure. Amazing. So what's next? Two years until you're attempting to run across the whole country. What's the next step for you? Yeah, next step is um, keep training. The goal is to do another training block for next year. Uh, don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it, it'll look roughly like 50 ultras in a row. So, you know, maybe 60K a day for 50 days. Um, if I can make it happen, I'm starting the planning phases of it right now. If I can set it up to where I'm running from the Terry Fox Memorial in Thunder Bay to mile zero in Victoria, which is about 3,100 kilometers. And that's the plan, man. We'll kick off sometime next year, see if we can run 60 kilometers every single day for 52 days. And then ultimately that'll help prepare and train and meet a whole bunch of people and connect and do all the things that I just did, but on a larger scale. And then um, 2025, April 12th, kick off to run across Canada from coast to coast, which is 7,300 kilometers. The goal is to see if I can break the record, which is uh, in and around 106, 107 kilometers. 106 to 107 kilometers a day for 67 days 10 hours so the goal would be to beat that so we'll see what happens beautiful well sean your response to what you've just heard and then any other closing comments that you want to make before we round this thing off 
Yeah, sure. Uh, and my my take on this is not going to be appreciated by Satch, I can assure you, or maybe anyone out there. But I hope I hope what I'm about to say resonates with some. When I hear someone running uh, 22 days in a row, it's not that impressive to me. I, I know, I, I know that sounds cruel, but it's not that impressive because I know people who've done way more. What is impressive to me is where Satch started a couple of years ago. That's the story to me. 22 days of running, honestly, big deal. Agree, And I agree with you. So, so there's a lot of people out there that hang on the idea of the impressive story of Satch's trajectory over the last two years is the fact that he can now run. And some of those people will focus on the fact that next year he's going to run even further. And that's the impressive part. That is not impressive to me. That is just the logical outcome of someone who has made his why so important that he's going to execute against his visualized goal. That's the process. How far you run and how long you run, those are just details. It's where you came from. And where you're going to take it, that's what impresses me. So um, for all of the folks out there who have enjoyed uh, following Satch's story and his 22 days of running, please don't get it confused. The real story is how far Satch has run over the last two years in his personal improvement. I agree. And I, I, I would like to jump in. I 100% agree. Because running two 22 marathons in a row, man, there's a million people that can do that, even more. I mean, it's not a, it's not really that big a deal. Um, for me to where I was in, in three, mm, I met Sean two years ago-ish. So from there until where I'm at now, man, it's it's um, notable. Yeah, that's and I think, great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, um, if anything, man, if anyone can learn anything, it's not about my running, man. It's about how I was able to least make some positive changes in my life so that i can move forward in a positive way and i'm doing what i do is train and run that's just whatever but in terms of like how i've got out how i gotten out of the ditch and and i'll be clear i'm not perfect i screw up every single day all the time but i'm in a position now where i'm not um constantly negative and constantly you know, in a negative spot, I'm actually positive most of the time and feel, feel pretty positive about the future and feel um, a sense of worth and value that I bring to my life and to maybe some people around me. So I think that's the important takeaway here rather than you know, running. And, and again, I'm not that fast, to be honest. <laughs> I'll try to be, but, you know, but uh, yeah, I concur with, with, with what Sean just said. So we came up with this kind of uh, the mix of the two of you about an hour before we recorded. It was supposed to be originally with Satch on his own. I'm so glad that we did this. The conversation that we've had, this kind of double perspective on, you know, the journeys when you guys first met and where you are now. You know, Sean's metamorphosis in the podcasting world, even though he's such a high performer in so many other areas, there's been so much to glean from this conversation so i want to thank you both so so much for coming on the behind the shield again this evening 
Thank you, man. Appreciate the opportunity to chat with both of you. So it's fun. Yeah, I agree. I really appreciate the opportunity, fellas. And I'm just glad that uh, I had a little bit of a better performance on your podcast, James and Satch. I'm really happy to be able to report that every day that I watch you uh, performing, you're performing better every day. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate that.